0: Hi, welcome to the show.
1: Of People, Pictures, Words. I'm Raúl, And I'm Chiara.
0: And today we're not pulling any punches. We're talking about mental illness, specifically uh, bipolar disorder and- uh, Eating disorder, uh,
1: anorexia slash bulimia. And uh, this is a kind of subject we've always wanted to talk about, but it's a very sensitive one. So I'm gonna put a trigger warning here.
0: So this podcast is gonna be a long one. Um, just because of the nature of the subject matter, it's not something you can summarize in 20 minutes. So we've decided to split it into two parts, loving someone with a mental illness, part one, and then part two coming next week. Neither of us are mental health professionals, so we're not going to be giving any advice on this podcast. We're just going to be talking about our experiences.
1: And uh, the the struggles and the possibilities of how to overcome it, because there's always a possibility to fight. Je voudrais vous demander une chose. Est-ce que vous croyez fantômes? Maybe the first thing we should do, even though we're not doctors or medical professional, we should at least define in our own way what a mental illness
0: is. What What is a mental illness according to you?
1: For me it's a poison that is either hereditary or that you have based on your life experiences. Something might have led into it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In my case at mm-hmm. least.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, what's yours? Um, pretty much the same. I do think it's a poison. I don't mean that like in a Well, I do mean it in a negative sense. I mean, mental illness can literally destroy your life. Um, I think to add to it, it's something that has to be diagnosed. You know, this whole auto-diagnosis thing that people do, like, you know, I also think I have this and I think I have that. I think you can speculate, but until it's been diagnosed properly by a mental health professional, uh, you don't have a mental illness. I think it's also something that you take medication for to basically function like a quote-unquote normal human being
1: right exactly yeah you shouldn't autodiagnose yourself ever because i feel like nowadays mental illness is something that people are more and more aware of but because of their awareness people actually auto diagnose themselves for example one day they feel sad and they say oh maybe i'm i'm struggling with depression mm. maybe not like mm. just con- consult someone
0: I think we also live in the the culture where everyone wants to victimize themselves and become victims, right? Mm -hmm. So everyone wants to have a label that makes them a victim of some kind, not everybody, but you know what I mean. And, um, you know, mental illnesses are there for the taking, you know, I'm this, I'm that, I struggle with this, I suffer from that. But until you've had it diagnosed, um, until you've taken the responsibility, taken initiative to actually find out what it is that is troubling you, then uh, as far as I'm concerned, you don't have anything. Well, you might have something, mm. but you can't put a label on it.
1: Right. Yeah. You could never understand what a mental illness is until you've not experienced it and it's not diagnosed.
0: When were you diagnosed?
1: The thing is, for my, my case, it's, uh, it took time to be diagnosed because it was mostly, most of the time, hidden under the carpet. Well, should I introduce what my mental illness is? This is an uh, eating disorder. So... Briefly, let's say I always had a bad relationship with food from a very very young age And at that time I was young. Of course, I wasn't aware of mental illnesses And when I was 15, I knew that something was wrong about me I couldn't put a label on it because I would hide it from my parents and also my parents wouldn't really They didn't really wanted to see what was going on with me so they assumed that everything was fine, but it was hell. So I had a diagnosis very, very. I think it was at the age of 21 or something like that. I'm I'm not even 23. I started seeing therapists from the age of 18, but nobody put a diagnosis on my condition. Eating disorder is so complicated. So.
0: Why is, it, why is it complicated? Because I read a book mm-hmm. and we'll get to that later. Right. Um, but
1: because there's a lot of assumptions that, you know, anorexic are bone thin mm. and bulimic are obese or but it's, not, it's, not, it's not about that. Like there's several factors implementing that, like when you have an eating disorder, you are also fighting with depression anxiety. This is basically for me, at least I, I have this condition because for most of my life I had an issue with food but it's not always about food it's also about for my case feeling that you are losing control over your life so the only thing you can control is actually what you put in your system what you eat and what you do not eat lack of self-confidence oh, I'm, I'm, I'm ugly so I should lose weight but I don't hate food actually i love it i mean food is it, it, it's not the problem the, the 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 weight is is not something that defines an eating disorder because it's a mental illness correct it's, it's not a physical illness
0: exactly exactly i was su- not surprised um but it was enlightening when i was reading the book to learn that it is it's not a physical condition at all it is a purely mental condition and this is a mistake that a lot of people have Uh when it comes to i think eating disorders especially everything that you've told me and that i've learned you know one of the things that the book i was reading talks about is like some of the myths that a lot of people have or or some of the images that come to mind when they think of anorexia they think uh bone-thin white chick you know spoilt you know, who who just doesn't want to eat, and I've seen a lot of comedians make fun of this. And uh, ever since, you know, I've met you, and ever since I've, you know, taken the time to, you know, study as best I can, I think that people with those assumptions can go fuck themselves.
1: Also, I would I would say, food is something that is, it's a pleasure to eat food, but when you are struggling with your self confidence. You you think to yourself I'm not allowed to put food in my system but eventually you cut out on this and it can start very progressively so yeah when I was like about 15 um, because when I when I was a child I wasn't allowed to eat all the food that I could as a child so I would have some hyperphagic crisis where I would wait until Everyone in the house was gone. And I would open the the cupboards and eat all the, the snacks, the, the cakes, the whatever. And I used to feel bad, but I wasn't purging. So this is why it's not bulimia itself. So I would rather call this a hyperphagic.
0: What so, is that, so explain hyper? Uh,
1: hyperphagic, it's when you eat a lot without purging. Okay, sorry. You cannot not con- control, it. it's a pulsion. Like you suddenly, you, it's like a drug, like you, you need to eat. So eventually, because of that I put on quite a bit of weight and I felt bad because I felt like I was even more ugly so yeah it started to show because I I couldn't wear the same clothes and uh, I grew let's say chubbier and chubbier and chubbier and basically I was doing that because i wanted to destroy myself and you i wanted to show to the my relatives that i was suffering and by showing them that i was suffering i had to suffer too and to destroy myself and um, so it's a vicious circle i think because you feel bad so you eat a lot you eat a lot and you feel bad and you, you keep on going until it gets to a point where you just hate seeing yourself in the mirror. But the thing is, nobody realized that you were suffering so much. So I would say the, the, the second part was like, okay, now I'm too fat. I need to lose weight. So that, that, that's why I said it can start progressively. So I was trying to... I, I, said, I said to myself, I'm going to be on a diet. My goal is to lose, let's say, five kilos. Because I feel like I'm overweight, overweight. I need to lose those five kilos. Which I did. But it was not, it was... It was not enough? It was not enough. So I had, instead of five, I said, okay, let's do seven. Nah, seven, it's a weird number. Let's say ten. And then I said, okay, I look quite good, but I was not the girls that you saw on the Instagram. And because I was very young, I used to compare myself to my girlfriends. And I, had, I have a group, I still have this group of friends, which are amazing, but... Most of them are very, very very thin, thinner than me. And uh, in high school, I had no boyfriend uh, because, I, uh, you know, I like self-confidence and I, I was not attractive enough, I think, because uh, nobody paid attention to me, probably because of my weight. Yeah,
0: they were looking in all the wrong directions.
1: <laughs> Thank you. So I said, okay, nobody pays attention to me. I was not an attention seeker, let's say, which is very weird because I... The only attention I wanted people... I want people to, to, to have is actually my parents. So I started this battle on my own. And I could go on on and on for hours, but I would try to keep it shorty. So I managed to lose weight and when I was 18, this is where the anorexia began. I was starting to cut down this food. No, no sugar. Okay, no carbs. Okay, no, no breakfast. Okay, uh, then what else? Uh, no snacks, of course. No alcohol. There's calories. Uh, it was always uh, a matter of for of calories, and I would this this is a very very uh, sensitive thing, but I would weigh myself every week, and if I didn't lose. 500 grams a week i would cry okay and then i went to the university i i was briefly on the same weight which was um not unhealthy because i still had my period and blah blah blah. but this this is all this was all mental so maybe physically was quite okay but in my head it was chaos and i had a lot of you know, a lot of remarks on my physical appearance, either good or bad, but both of them were was, was triggering. Oh, you look good. You lost a lot of weight. Wow. Okay. Oh, so I'm thinner means I'm, I'm prettier. Cool. I'm going to continue or you're too thin. Great. I'm too thin. Great. This is what I want. I'm going to continue. So all those remarks when you, you are dealing with a knitting disorder, this kind of remarks can really, really trigger you and, and fuck you up even more.
0: You even told me about the other one, um, when someone says, you look healthy. You
1: look healthy. And For me, it means, okay, I look healthy. So it means I, I'm fat now, because this is what I'm going to jump to. Last year, I was in Paris. I was, um, I was on my own. I had my own flat, no roommate, no, no anything. And... Um, Life was very, very hard. My my condition worsened, is the word. And maybe I, I enjoyed being single because now I could control everything that I put or didn't put inside my body. And I think also that was the wrong time for me to go on my own in Paris because I still had this condition which was not really taken care of. And obviously on my own, I didn't want to take care of this. I wanted to feel worse and worse and worse and it has gotten to a point where I weighed 38 kilos, 37 so my son could have stopped beating, this is where I called my mom and this is where I said this is getting bad now, I'm in trouble, my health is in trouble and now she, from this point she realized it so it had, it had to go to a point where there was no other option but to go to a ward so I'm going to pause it because we have the same experience, but before uh, asking you questions about the world, I want you to talk briefly about your own disorder.
0: So there's two types of bipolar disorders. is bipolar one and bipolar two. Bipolar one is the more severe one. That's the one that I have. I also have panic disorder, but I don't really want to get into that one. And uh, it sucks. But I just wanted to focus more on the bipolar because that's just basically in a nutshell, a chemical, a chemical imbalance in the brain. That means that your mood is not stable unless you take a certain medication to stabilize your mood. Uh, you swing between highs and lows, so depression and mania. When you're manic, you feel like Superman. You go to a casino and you spend all your money believing that you're gonna make it back 10 times you know, as much or uh, you fall into a depression where it can go from not wanting to see anyone to Uh, trying to figure out ways to end your life kind of thing you know so it can go very very dark so even within the you know the depressed phase and the manic phase um, there are extremes in both of those phases you know I can be manic be aware that I'm manic and basically you know watch out for certain triggers so that I don't get triggered and go into like an explosive episode or when I'm depressed you know just kind of not uh, remove myself from the environment but certainly remove myself from an unfamiliar environment Mm. you know unfamiliarity feeds depression i probably inherited the disease because bipolar disorder is often hereditary and i do have family members that have bipolar disorder so i assume that that's where it came from Mm -hmm. my manic episodes last a lot longer than my depression episodes do Um, but uh, I am medicated, so I do have periods of stability. That doesn't mean, the medication doesn't solve the problem. The medication just kind of alleviates the symptoms so that you are able to watch yourself more clearly, you know, almost like a third party, you know, uh, it's kind of like meditation, you know, you're taking a step back and being like a quiet observer of your condition. Yeah, but it's really... Well, it's interesting. Like, you can say a disease destroyed your life, but, you know, like, if certain things didn't work, if things didn't go the way they did, then I wouldn't have met you.
1: No, uh, you, you, you point on something interesting here because when you have a depression episode, you are more, let's say, keen, is that the right word? To um, isolate yourself from others, which is also the case for when you have an eating disorder because socializing food is part of socializing food is not the problem itself but this is what control uh, eating disorder because this is this is what is it's it's actually called eating disorder so as my illness grew more intense i wouldn't even see my friends i wouldn't go outside uh, i stopped drinking and i yeah i stopped you know, I I was really in in my own bubble suffering alone. And um, the fact is, my friends uh, always knew that something was wrong. But when it really was, I couldn't reach any lower. I couldn't go any lower. This is where they suggested me to maybe uh, actually go in a a mental institute. They did. They suggested this idea. But remember, I didn't want to take care of myself. I didn't want to take my meds. And I said, no, it's a wrong idea. Actually, it's the worst idea possible. First, I don't want to go into a unfamiliar environment. I'm not crazy. I don't want to go to a psychological ward. Everything is fine. I, I got my shit together. Thank you for your concern, but I won't take it. I have a flat in Paris. I have a job. I cannot quit everything for this. And also because maybe I wanted to get thinner and thinner until the point where I I would die because I thought there was no other option for me.
0: Because basically when you're on that path, your goal is to spiral out of control to the point where you lose yourself completely.
1: Exactly, you think you have control, but actually you do not. You have control. Okay, like I won't eat, this is control. But what you do not control is that your body starts losing muscles, start, you, you, have like, um, you start losing memory, uh, you don't have strength anymore, you're always fatigued, exhausted. This is something you cannot control. So basically, I was admitted in the ward exactly last year, 4th January 2022, just after Christmas, because this is where I had this uh, explosion of tears and I was supposed to go back to Paris after Christmas to work and to continue this horrid lifestyle that i that i put on myself paris was not horrible my condition was horrible which made my experience in, in paris horrible and i thought no i'm going to keep on doing it i have to keep on doing it because i i i spent so much time finding my job finding my flat i cannot i cannot quit everything it's too it will be too much um mental charge mental anxiety for me but my parents are like, honestly, Kia, you cannot continue with that. So I said, okay, maybe, maybe I wanted to, and maybe I didn't want to go back to Paris. Uh, I knew, I thought that I was strong, but I couldn't, it was a point where even walking was, was difficult. Uh, climbing a stair was difficult. Uh, walking for more, more more than 30 minutes was exhausting i couldn't think properly uh, i couldn't write i couldn't interact with people i so w- i was i was a zombie so yeah the only other option was to be admitted in the ward
0: just with some perspective looking back to the psych ward not how you how how are you feeling at the time but now looking back was it the right thing to do uh,
1: okay interesting yeah. question i think uh well it was harsh, it was very hard, because I had to leave everything behind. My family, my friends, my flat, my previous life. Because uh, you got a laptop. Yes, I I, I... I
0: didn't get a fucking laptop, I got a nothing. No oh, electronics trust me. whatsoever. I didn't
1: have any phone, like... Basically, they remove everything from you that might put you in danger.
0: But a laptop, I mean
1: yes but you don't have wi-fi so you had to have a hard drive to because the thing is the laptop is not a problem internet wi-fi is a problem because remember i was in a institute for um, eating disorder illness so girls it was only a girl's hospital and what girls do when they have wi-fi and they have an eating disorder they scroll on instagram and tiktok to see models thing girls everything uh, how to you know not eat the amount of calories they can when you have a, a plate okay you've got 100 grams of pasta how many calories this is why we, d- we didn't have Wi-Fi but we were allowed to have a laptop which doesn't really make sense because whatever you put some uh, eating disorder documentary on this hard drive but anyway so no looking back to it it was harsh but I uh, there were pros and cons because the pros were the, 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 the girls that I met, some of them were really good and I still have them in my friend circle because they were not toxic girls that actually they, they wanted to get better. Obviously they were struggling but they, they tried so hard and we kind of left each other up we both went from different backgrounds this is this this was my first experience in the world some of them it was their fifth or fourth so they knew a little bit more they were maybe sick for the very beginning of their childhood so we had kind of different histories and i knew a little bit more about this disorder because i thought it was only a loss of control stress uh, family background but no some some girls were actually it can come from traumatic experience. It's like, for example, sexual assault by family members, by their boyfriends. So suddenly this or those women lost their dignity. And so they stopped eating completely. I saw women running around, uh, bone thin, just really wanting to lose as much calories as possible. But looking back to it, With my group of friends we always said this particular sentence he said you see this woman walking she's actually she's moving forward but she's actually moving moving backwards because you you are admitted to a hospital you should want to get better so I tried my best but I think this hospital was great because actually like you said I took my meds at least but I didn't put a lot of weight, actually I, I lost some weight, so they kicked me out, but I have great memories about it. With close friends of mine, we would always exchange notes um, under the doors, like, meet me at room, whatever, (laughs) watch a movie while everyone is... uh... It's funny, because there's a routine, like, you are waking up at 7, then lunch is at 11.30, and then dinner is at 6, and then curfew is at uh, 10. But we will sneak out from each other's room to see a movie in a very, very far away room. And it was fun. We enjoyed our little tea because there were women with a um, trolley, tea, tea. Someone they All right. like on
0: the uh, fucking the the train in Harry Potter.
1: Yeah, exactly like that. Like that. Everyone mm. was running, and you know, like you said, that you had some maybe you experienced it. But there were good nurses and bad nurses. Mm-hmm. Uh, some nurses that actually uh, cared about their work. Some that got bored of it.
0: And some that power tripped. Mm-hmm. You know, some that used their position. You know, because maybe in their own lives they don't, they can't exercise much power over people, so they do it to, I guess, people that are in a weaker position than they are. I could say that going to a psych ward was the worst thing that ever happened to me, you know, because I didn't enjoy my time in the ward, but I did enjoy my time in the ward. I didn't enjoy being in a ward, number one, you know. Uh, The only view I had was of a gray building next door. You know, if you went to all the way to the end and you kind of squinted. You could see maybe some of Rondebosch Pinelands where we currently are and the green and everything like that. But uh, yeah, we ate the same food every day. and, And not the same food, but like, you know, a version of the same food every day. and It tasted like dog shit, you know? So my mom and my grandmother, they'd come and they'd bring me, you know, nice food every single day. And everyone in the ward was jealous, but I would share that food. I met people of my tribe so to speak, you know, people that had been through very similar uh, incidents and going through similar circumstances. So that was great. There were a lot of positive things to take from the ward. In fact, at the end of the day, after I left the ward, I think it was more of a good thing than a bad thing that happened because it was almost like a reawakening of sorts. Because when you come out of the ward, you literally are kind of being reborn into the world. Mm -hmm. You've been away from the world for so long. You've been in the confines of a space right and the purpose is to well to get better or get to a form where you can function properly they make sure you're taking your meds um, every day every morning every every um, every evening and uh, they generally you know they're not Nasty, I think some of, the, some of the nurses can be nasty, but uh, I had, no, I had great, some great experiences in the ward, you know. I made friends with younger people and older people, so I was like, there were two millennials, and there was, it, was, it was either like Gen Zers or like Boomers, and I was one of two millennials. And so I got along with both parties. One thing I really enjoyed was dominoes, because that's when we'd all come together and play, and everyone had their own way of playing dominoes. I had almost no idea how to play, I knew how to play dominoes, but I had no idea that you could guess what the other person uh-huh. has or, or that kind of thing. I just thought you just play what you have mm-hmm. based on what's on the table, but no, you've got to play your opponent's hand, you've got to block them, etc. And there was this one moment where I was playing with uh, one of the oldest people in the ward, and he was, I think, in his 70s. We'd really hadn't spoken that much, uh, but I ended up being his partner because I needed a partner or he needed a partner, I can't really remember. And up until that point, uh, two of the boys were really, really good at it. And they kept like telling me, you should play that, you should play this. And I'd do that and then I'd lose, you know, because they were kind of trying to get me to do what they needed me to do in order for them to win so at the one point i'm sitting there at the table and uh one of the kids says to me you should play this one and the my partner says to me don't play the game other people want you to play play your own game and that line that 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 sound bite that what he said to me has stuck with me ever since that in life you have to play your own game That's also when it comes to mental illness. Don't play the game your disease wants you to play. Exactly. Play your own game.
1: Don't identify yourself to your disease.
0: You are not your disease. Exactly. Mm -hmm. A
1: lot of girls in my ward thought they were only their disease.
0: Well, it comes down to the I am, you know, I'm bipolar. Wrong. I have bipolar. You have
1: bipolar. Mm Right. I'm not anorexic. I have an eating disorder. I'm not bulimic. I struggle with uh, bulimia or whatever. Mm -hmm. Now that I look back into it, I think this experience made me strong, most of it, even if I was kicked out because it went bad and they they thought that I wasn't doing what they they asked me to do, which was wrong it's also part of because it, it's it, it's hot. you're on your own basically you don't have phone calls, you cannot receive letters there's only one visit per week, and I stayed in the world for three months, so at the very beginning, you are in my world, there were four stages. Stage one is like basically a quarantine. So you're completely isolated. And I used to have a very s- speed life in Paris. And suddenly, I only had my laptop in my bed in 20 meters square. And I was bored. I couldn't go outside just for a smoke. That was the only time where I could, you know.
0: And I couldn't I, even do that. Mm,
1: and no. um, the thing is, I was like, what can I do? And my therapist says, take time for yourself. I didn't know how to do that. What, it, what does it mean? So I would kill time eventually. In the very beginning, I, I started to watch garbage on TV just because I was bored. I was not really taking time for myself. I was mostly killing the time.
0: And time is a gift yes. that is given to you. And, and then, you only have so much of it.
1: Uh, and then eventually I reached uh, stage two, which allowed me to go outside, have more permissions. I could receive letters, send letters have my phone twice a week no wi-fi still but i have 4g so but I, I like i said i didn't scroll on instagram or something like that but at least i could interact with some other patients yes this is what kills you it's uh, actually isolating yourself this is why you realize why isolating yourself is something bad because you are on your own with this demon that you have to to, to fight against.
0: Mm. There's a brilliant book um, by, I think, Andrew Solomon's his name um, called The Noonday Demon. Mm. It's the quintessential book about depression. Mm. It's brilliant. Mm. Um, and he really gets into it in that book. Like, really, really gets into it. I cried. I didn't finish it. I wish I had. But I finished, like, about almost two-thirds of it. Mm-hmm. And he basically talks about depression being this, this demon um, that wants to this demon that wants to suck the soul out of you and basically bring you to a point where you're at your wit's end and you just can't continue anymore and you know what that means mm-hmm. you know? and part of that process is isolation so you isolate yourself and then you kind of crawl under the blankets you put yourself in a corner you hide and then you just let this demon eat away at you and it's like it incapacitates you Depression, actually, well, clinical depression, the kind of depression that I suffer from, it's not sadness, it's not boohoo. I'm lying on a bed because something happened and I'm sad about it. It can come at me at any time, even on a beautiful sunny day, and everything's going my way, and then some, something happens. I see something, I see a colour, maybe. Something small, something that I don't even notice consciously, but it can trigger a depression. And if I'm not quick to act at that, at that moment... You know, because I have learned, you know, coping mechanisms over the years, and I want to get into that in a second. Mm. But um, no, there are still the days where, uh, and I have you to thank actually for making me realize that I can pull myself out of this. You know, there are little things that I can do. Now, when I experience mania, uh, which is now you know the opposite of depression, I my voice might get loud, and then people will come and say. So loud! Stop! You know, God, you're out. you know, you're always so loud. And then I'll just stop talking. I'll isolate myself. Right. I'll cover myself with a blanket, and that's me for the next three days, okay. perhaps. You know, if I don't find a way to get out of it sooner. But there are the little things that you can do. Now, why I enjoy smoking so much is because it's something to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you know, I'm not endorsing cigarettes here, but it's for me, it's just something to do. Yeah. So it means that. Anything to get me out of the bed, anything to get me off the bed, right? One push up, you know, uh, taking a shower, you know, that is progress, you know, just getting out of the bed, taking seven steps forward at the time. I was basically trying to do everything. It was possible to make the condition worse, almost like a a cry for attention Uh that you said earlier, you know, you were doing things at a point in your life because you wanted people to notice, Mm -hmm. um, And these are traumatic, these are traumatic experiences that you have that you don't forget about easily. And people can can say the wrong thing sometimes and it might trigger one of these, might trigger a memory. And this memory might lead to a depression or it might lead to something even worse, especially when something is not your fault because of your disorder. And these episodes, you know, the depression, the explosions, the mania, they've really, I've lost friends. I've destroyed relationships. People have been afraid of me, you know. People back away. And when people back away, you think there's something wrong with you. So you double down on the behavior Mm -hmm. because it doesn't make sense. But for me, it does at the time. I want to hurt myself as much as possible because I've done something wrong. So I deserve punishment. So I will do whatever it takes to make the situation worse because that's all I deserve. And that's the, Mm -hmm. my mind kind of the way I rationally, irrationally, I rationalize the irrational.
1: Okay, that was the part one of loving someone with a mental illness.
0: Part two will pick up exactly where part one left off. Uh, duh. So uh, we'll chit chat with you guys next week.
1: Yeah. So stay tuned if you want to know the following episode. And goodbye. Goodbye. There are adventures every day.
0: Paris.